Chapter 43 of Varney the Vampire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. Varney the Vampire, Volume 1, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 43 the preparations for leaving Bannerworth Hall, and the mysterious conduct of the Admiral and Mr. Chillingworth. It seemed now that, by the concurrence of all parties, Bannerworth Hall was to be abandoned, and, notwithstanding Henry was loath, as he had indeed from the first shown himself, to leave the ancient abode of his race, yet, as not only Flora, but the Admiral and his friend Mr. Chillingworth, seemed to be of opinion that it would be a prudent course to adopt, he felt that it would not become him to oppose the measure. He, however, now made his consent to depend wholly upon the full and free acquiescence of every member of the family. If, he said, there be any among us who will say to me, continue to keep open the house in which we have passed so many happy hours, and let the ancient home of our race still afford a shelter to us, I shall feel myself bound to do so. But if both my mother and my brother agree to a departure from it, and that its hearth shall be left cold and desolate, be it so. I will not stand in the way of any unanimous wish or arrangement. We may consider that, then, as settled, said the Admiral, for I have spoken to your brother, and he is of our opinion. Therefore, my boy, we may all be off as soon as we can conveniently get under way. But my mother... Oh, there, I don't know. You must speak to her yourself. I never, if I can help it, interfere with the women folks. If she consent, then I am willing. Will you ask her? I will not ask her to leave, because I know, then, what answer she would at once give. But she shall hear the proposition, and I will leave her to decide upon it, unbiased in her judgment by any stated opinion of mine upon the matter. Good. That'll do, and the proper way to put it, too. There's no mistake about that, I can tell you. Henry, although he went through the ceremony of consulting his mother, had no sort of doubt before he did so that she was sufficiently aware of the feelings and wishes of Flora to be prepared to yield a ready assent to the proposition of leaving the hall. Moreover, Mr. Marchdale had, from the first, been an advocate of such a course of proceeding, and Henry well knew how strong an influence he had over Mrs. Bannerworth's mind, in consequence of the respect in which she held him as an old and valued friend. He was, therefore, prepared for what his mother said, which was, "'My dear Henry, you know that the wishes of my children, since they have been grown up and capable of coming to a judgment for themselves, have ever been laws to me. If you, among you all, agree to leave this place, do so. But will you leave it freely, mother? Most freely I go with you all. What is it that has made this house and all its appurtenances pleasant in my eyes, but the presence in it of those who are so dear to me? If you all leave it, you take with you the only charms it ever possessed, so it becomes in itself as nothing. I am quite ready to accompany you all anywhere, so that we do but keep together. Then, mother, we may consider that as settled. As you please. It is scarcely as I please. 
I must confess that I would fain have clung with a kind of superstitious reverence to this ancient abiding place of my race, but it may not be so. Those, perchance, who are more practically able to come to correct conclusions, in consequence of their feelings, not being sufficiently interested to lead them astray, have decided otherwise, and therefore I am content to leave. Do not grieve at it, Henry. There has hung a cloud of misfortune over us all since the garden of this house became the scene of an event which we can none of us remember but with terror and shuddering. Two generations of our family must live and die before the remembrance of that circumstance can be obliterated. But we will think of it no more. There can be no doubt but that the dreadful circumstance to which both Mrs. Mannerworth and Henry alluded was the suicide of the father of the family in the gardens which before has been hinted at in the course of this narration, as being a circumstance which had created a great sensation at the time, and cast a great gloom for many months over the family. The reader will, doubtless, too, recollect that, at his last moments, this unhappy individual was said to have uttered some incoherent words about some hidden money, and that the rapid hand of death alone seemed to prevent him from being explicit upon that subject, and left it merely a matter of conjecture. As years had rolled on, this affair, even as a subject of speculation, had ceased to occupy the minds of any of the Bannerworth family, and several of their friends, among whom was Mr. Marchdale, were decidedly of the opinion that the apparently pointed and mysterious words uttered were but the disordered wanderings of an intellect already hovering on the confines of eternity. Indeed, far from any money of any amount, being a disturbance of the last moments of a dissolute man whose vices and extravagances had brought his family to such ruin, it was pretty generally believed that he had committed suicide simply from a conviction of the impossibility of raising any more supplies of cash to enable him to carry on the career which he had pursued for so long. But to resume... Henry at once communicated to the admiral what his mother had said, and then the whole question regarding the removal being settled in the affirmative, nothing remained to be done but to set about it as quickly as possible. The Bannerworths lived sufficiently distant from the town to be out of earshot of the disturbances which were then taking place, and so completely isolated were they from all sort of society that they had no notion of the popular disturbance which Varney the Vampire had given rise to. It was not until the following morning that Mr. Chillingworth, who had been home in the meantime, brought word of what had taken place, and that great commotion was still in the town, and that the civil authorities, finding themselves by far too weak to contend against the popular will, had sent for assistance to a garrison town some twenty miles distant. It was a great grief to the Bannerworth family to hear these tidings, not that they were in any way, except as victims, accessory to creating a disturbance about the vampire, but it seemed to promise a kind of notoriety which they might well shrink from, and which they were just the people to view with dislike. View the matter how we like, however. It is not to be considered as at all probably that the Bannerworth family would remain long in ignorance of what a great sensation they had created unwittingly in the neighborhood. The very reasons which had induced their servants to leave their establishment and prefer throwing themselves completely out of place rather than remain in so ill-omened a house, were sure to be brooded abroad far and wide. 
and that, perhaps, when they came to consider of it, would suffice to form another good and substantial reason for leaving the hall, and seeking a refuge in obscurity from the extremely troublesome sort of popularity incidental to their peculiar situation. Mr. Chillingworth felt uncommonly chary of telling them all that had taken place, although he was well aware that the proceedings of the riotous mob had not terminated with the little disappointment at the old ruin, to which they had so effectually chased Varney the vampire, but to lose him so singularly when he got there. No doubt he possessed the admiral with the uproar that was going on in the town, for the latter did hint a little of it to Henry Bannerworth. Hilloa, he said to Henry as he saw him walking in the gardens. It strikes me if you or your ship's crew continue in these latitudes, you'll get as notorious as the flying Dutchman in the southern ocean. How do you mean? said Henry. Why, it's a sure-going proverb to say that a nod's as good as a wink. But the fact is it's getting rather too well known to be pleasant that a vampire has struck up a rather close acquaintance with your family. I understand there's a precious row in the town. Indeed. Yes, bother the particulars, for I don't know them. But, hark ye, by tomorrow I'll have found a place for you to go to. So pack up the sticks, get all your stores ready to clear out, and make yourself scarce from this place. I understand you, said Henry. We have become the subject of popular rumor. I've only to beg of you, Admiral, that you'll say nothing of this to Flora. She has already suffered enough, heaven knows. Do not let her have the additional affliction of thinking that her name is made familiar to every pothouse in this town. Leave me alone for that, said the admiral. Do you think I'm an ass? Aye, aye, said Jack Pringle, who came in at that moment, and thought the question was addressed to him. Who spoke to you, you bad-looking horse-marine? Me, a horse-marine? Didn't you ask a plain question of a fellow and get a plain answer? Why, you son of a bad-looking gun, what do you mean by that? I tell you what it is, Jack, I've let you come sneaking too often on the quarter-deck, and now you come poking your fun at your officers, you rascal. Aye, poking fun, said Jack. Couldn't think of such a thing. I should just as soon think of your making a joke as me. Now I tell you what it is. I shall just strike you off the ship's books, and you shall just go and cruise by yourself. I've done with you. Go and tell that to the Marines, if you like, said Jack. I ain't done with you yet, for a jolly long watch. Why, what do you suppose would become of you, you great babby, without me? Ain't I always a-conveying you from place to place, and steering you through all sorts of difficulties? Damn your impudence! Well, then, damn yours. Shiver my timbers. Aye, you may do what you like with your own timbers. And you won't leave me? Startingly not. Come here, then. Jack might have expected a gratuity, for he advanced with alacrity. There, said the admiral, as he laid his stick across his shoulders, that's your last month's wages. Don't spend it all at once. Well, I'm damned, said Jack. Who'd have thought of that? He's turning rumgumptious, and no mistake. Howsomdever, I must turn it over in my mind and be ever with him, somehow. I owes him one for that, I say, Admiral. What now, you lubber? Nothing. Turn that over in your mind. 
and away Jack walked, not quite satisfied, but feeling at least that he had made a demonstration of attack. As for the admiral, he considered that the thump he had given Jack with the stick, and it was no gentle one, as a decided balancing of accounts up to that period, and as he remained likewise master of the field, he was upon the whole very well satisfied. These last few words which had been spoken to Henry by Admiral Bell, more than any others, induced him to hasten his departure from Bannerworth Hall. He had walked away when the altercation between Jack Pringle and the Admiral began, for he had seen sufficient of those wordy conflicts between those originals to be quite satisfied that neither of them meant what he said of a discouraging character towards the other, and that far from there being any unfriendly feeling contingent upon those little affairs, they were only a species of friendly sparring, which both parties enjoyed extremely. Henry went direct to Flora, and he said to her, since we are all agreed upon the necessity, or, at all events, upon the expediency of a departure from the hall, I think, sister, the sooner we carry out that determination, the better and the pleasanter for us all it will be. Do you think you could remove so hastily as tomorrow? Tomorrow? That is soon indeed. I grant you that it is so. But Admiral Bell assures me that he will have everything in readiness, and a place provided for us to go to by then. Would it be possible to remove from a house like this so very quickly? Yes, sister. If you look around you, you will see that a great portion of the comforts you enjoy in this mansion belong to it as a part of its very structure, and are not removable at pleasure. What we really have to take away is very little. The urgent want of money during our father's lifetime induced him, as you may recollect even, at various times to part with much that was ornamental, as well as useful, which was in the hall. You will recollect that we seldom returned from those little continental tours which to us were so delightful, without finding some old familiar objects gone, which, upon inquiry, we found had been turned into money, to meet some more than usually pressing demand. That is true, brother, I recollect well. So that, upon the whole, sister, there is little to remove. Well, well, be it so, I will prepare our mother for this sudden step. Believe me, my heart goes with it, and as a force of vengeful circumstances have induced us to remove from this home, which was once so full of pleasant recollections, it is certainly better, as you say, that the act should be at once consummated, than left hanging in terror over our minds. Then I'll consider that as settled, said Henry. End of chapter 43 Recording by Roger Moline